The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So, Mike, this episode's going live on November 26th, which means we're, there's only about four days left in the month. Is it socially acceptable now to start playing Christmas music? When when do you think is the right time to allow Christmas music into your daily life? I'm glad that this is being brought up, Neil, because I think this is an important part of society that we have to address. We do. We need to decide what's right and wrong now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we made a decision on the cutlery and dishwashers, uh, and we made a decision on what's the best Bond game. And I think now it's time to make a decision on when you can put Christmas lights up and also play Christmas music. Oh, you're adding another layer with the Christmas lights. Okay. Or I should say, I should say like illuminate the lights. You can put the lights up anytime it's warm, you know. Absolutely. uh, For me, it's December 1st. Mm -hmm. December 1st is the cutoff, Uh, you know, and that, that works pretty well for, I mean, if you're in the States, traditionally... Uh, the states it's uh you know for thanksgiving right after right. thanksgiving people put it up also happy thanksgiving to all our american listeners yes, out there happy thanksgiving hopefully you had some good turkey and some sweet potato pie and i think they just eat the same foods we do here right <laughs> yes it, it it is the same idea but okay uh, a lot of americans uh, don't know that our thanksgiving is in october like i'd say like 99 percent of americans don't know that <laughs> not to not to to rag on americans here but but why would you right I don't know. <laughs> yeah i know right like would, it would make sense that we would celebrate it all on the same day but we don't no (laughs) okay so you think december 1st is the right day to start playing christmas music yeah december 1st is is very acceptable you're in that window now the advent Mm -hmm. calendars are out yes you know (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. a big very good that's really i think that decides when christmas can start is the when the advent when the first door on the advent calendar opens the floodgates open (laughs) exactly but i mean like you you turn on the radio now in toronto we have like 98.1 that's like the all christmas that they play nonstop christmas from i think it's november 1st so is that a new thing because i don't think that used to be that way i've noticed you know driving around toronto too i'll see billboards with chfi saying uh a nonstop christmas music starting now i'm like what starting now and this was this was like right after halloween yeah november one and i think i know that in my family my sister's birthday is at the end of november so traditionally we like to wait until the end of november really to start playing christmas music just so her birthday isn't overshadowed but i think in terms of like the marketplace and in in stores i think you have to wait until at least after remembrance day or veterans day in the states after november 11th i think wait until the 12th it can't be right after halloween it's too it's like you can't put those holidays on top of each other halloween is we we have to like you know take some time to decompress from to halloween. absorb to absorb what happened <laughs> <laughs> on halloween i 100 exactly. percent agree december one and yeah putting up the lights i think you can put them up whenever like right now we went through a huge heat wave in november which was rare it was like 20 degrees outside <laughs> for a few days there and everyone on my street were putting up lights not everyone's lit them yet which is fine like yeah. that's okay some people keep lights up year-round you, you got to do you but yeah, I think they just want Santa to come. They're just they mm-hmm. they they want Santa there in August. Yeah, that's right. They're, I mean, now I think people just want to get the year over with so we can get on to twenty twenty one. Let's go. Let's start this. Let's start this off. Right. And and now <laughs> the the radios even have the audacity, Mike, to play Christmas music past Christmas into the. I think they play it now up until January first. I would rather have that than starting in November first. Yes. Because I'm okay playing Christmas music. Until because that December twenty fifth to January eighth, my birthday. That's not a real week. That's those 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 two weeks are yeah, they're not real weeks. You know, those are celebrations of of Christmas, 
of New Year's Day, and of me. And of your birthday, of course. That's how we close <laughs> it all off. First, it's the birth of Christ, and then it's the birth of Mike. <laughs> yeah. That's how we close it off. That's right. That makes total sense. I guess that's true. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I was listening to the radio, listening listening to the radio at midnight on Boxing Day, as, as I do when I was 14. But I remember it. the music, it was really eerie, because at 12.01, it played like whatever the, the 12 bells of Christmas, whatever that song is. You know the one? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, and then made famous by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Thank you. That I think that's exactly what they were playing. But then it, <laughs> it that ended, and and then it went to Hotel California by the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas was done on December twenty sixth. Welcome at one point. to Christmas, California. Such a lovely place. Mike, have you ever driven without a wallet? Yeah, I have. It's really weird. It's a very, like, you feel naked. Don't all of a sudden other cars look like they're going way faster and are way bigger <laughs> as soon as you don't have a wallet with you? As soon as you don't have insurance, all of a sudden, <laughs> things get dicey out there. All of a sudden, there's rhinos on the road. Like, it just, things just seem, seem so elevated as soon as you don't have a wallet. It's like you're trying to avoid, I knew I wasn't, I knew I was driving without my wallet the other day, and I knew where it was, and I was going back to go get it. But just all of a sudden, that's just a snap in your brain that just everything feels so much more dangerous when you don't have that wallet with you, with your license and, and your health insurance or whatever's in there. It's that feeling of risk, man. <sighs> Nothing's worse than that. But I ended up getting my wallet back. So it was only a few hours or something. But still, it's a scary feeling. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I feel that. But just I feel like for me, just leaving the house without my wallet at all is mm -hmm. very, very strange. Oh, yeah. Or, or even for me, keys. Whenever I go on vacation, it's a weird feeling to not have keys on you. I think to me that is growing up where at one point you left your house and you just left your house. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah when we were young, you just feeling? Yeah, you just called your parents and say, I'll be home in an hour. I'm going out to play some street hockey. But then eventually, you know, you start graduating. Like I got a, I got my first house key uh, when I was around 11. And then eventually yeah. you get your first little wallet, you know, it holds the library card and a $5 bill in there if you want to go to the dollar store. I lost my house key the first time I got oh. it. Fun, fun story. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. It, I think I was outside playing, doing, you know, what kids do, maybe playing soccer or something. Sure. And I guess I lost the key. And uh, I think I was probably 10 at this point. That sounds mm -hmm. right. Probably about okay. 10 years old. And I just, uh, yeah, I was, I remember being like, I remember like crying, <laughs> like being like, that's, that's the childhood equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> that's the childhood equivalent of forgetting your wallet and you're in your car. Like, how are you yeah, going to, yeah. like, and then you're in your 10 year old brain. You're like, I'm never getting into my house again. I'm now homeless. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. That is everything. And then, and then eventually you, you get a wallet and now that's the most important thing to you. And then, and then eventually you have a phone and that, and then that's the most important thing to you. If you drop your phone, if you lose your phone, your life is over. I think 10-year-old me also thought that if someone found the key, that they could just break in. Oh, they would know exactly which house the key works for? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Only a kid would think that. Now when you lose your keys, you're like, oh, whatever, I'll get it. Like the worst thing is that you've lost your fob on your to open your car, which is like $300 to replace. To lose your keys sucks even more as a kid because you have so many – and also, you, you built up keys in a lifetime. You know, it's you a do. lifetime of building up keys on that ring. You do, and you end up with things that you don't even need anymore, like you have a key for a bike lock. You haven't ridden a bike in <laughs> five do. years. <laughs> I still have that on my ring. Yeah. That's, that's so good, dude. I have no idea what it's I, for. I still have my gym tag on mine. I haven't been to the gym in eight months because of this freaking <laughs> pandemic. And now that's the new thing that you can't leave your house without is a mask. Where if you mm. leave your house without a mask, you feel even more like, oh, what, how am I going to go anywhere now? Like you can't leave your car, basically. If you're in your car without a mask, you got to go home because where else are you going to go? I mean, a mask is easier because you, it's on your face immediately. Like it's it's 
Well, for it, you it is because you live in an apartment. I live in a house, so I can leave my house without wearing a mask. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's yes. that different. There's that different mindset. You see. Yes. Very, very true. Actually, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess what's going to be next? That's what I want to know. Like now we have keys, wallet, phone, mask. I'm running out of pockets here, Mike. Gum. Make sure you always have <laughs> gum. gum. <laughs> it could be gum. There was a really good ad back in the day. I'm not sure who it was for, but it was. Uh, it was a great ad campaign. It was like keys, wallet, phone, gum, and like they they kept like saying that over and over again. That's very uh, good. Just like a guy trying to remember all his stuff that he needed to remember, and like I, I still have that stuck in my head. I think it might have been five. Five came out of nowhere, and it went away, I'm and and it sure. left. Yeah, you're right. No, it came and it went. Like juicy fruit has hung on. It's totally true. like Trident's hung on, Excel is hung on, but five. Well, juicy fruit's been around for a hundred years or more. We used to sing the juicy fruit song like while playing baseball. Like, as a, as a chant when someone was batting. Get your skis shined up, grab a stick of juicy fruit. The taste is, is gonna, gonna move ya. Take a sniff. What? How did it go? <laughs> Pull it out. The wow. taste is gonna move ya when you pop it, pop in, it your in your mouth. mouth. Juicy fruit is gonna, gonna move, move ya. ya. Yeah, that's that's in my head now. Can't remember anything I learned in high school, but... <laughs> but I remember that juicy fruit song. Oh, do I ever remember the Juicy Fruit song? Mike, before I get started with the episode, uh, did you want to, I think we have a little bit of uh, feedback for the show. Did you want to read that before we get started? Yes, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I just want to um, take some time and call out a Slumber Mouse, uh, 12345, great name, by the way. Love it. Uh, It's a UK listener. Uh, We love to uh, hear people from Great Britain and uh, the UK talk about our podcast. And on Reddit, they said, I love that podcast. It gets me through the night shifts. You guys hit it nicely. Chilled out, funny, good mix of facts and personal nostalgia. I only have one criticism, though. You guys are making me buy games I never even bother with. I'm considering <laughs> buying Scooby-Doo. Yes. Takes a hard look in the mirror. <laughs> I wonder which Scooby-Doo uh, Slumber Mouse is thinking about buying now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have I should have asked. Yeah, probably Night of uh, a Thousand Frights. Night of a Hundred Frights? I think hundred Frights. Yeah, only a hundred Frights? A uh, thousand is overkill. <laughs> <laughs> Adjusted for inflation, now it's a thousand Frights. Um, yeah, uh, Slumber Mouse, one, two, three, four, five. If you could please let us know which Scooby-Doo game we convinced you to buy. Only thing I remember from that episode is we mentioned the Scooby-Doo games and then we talked about Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I think just the general nostalgia about Sco- mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo would make anyone want to kind of play those games, though. Okay, well, yeah, Slumber Mouse, let us know uh, what you think of the Scooby-Doo game you picked up and... Uh, Maybe today we can get you to, uh, to we can convince you to buy a few more games because this is episode twenty eight of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and a menagerie of other podcast services. Please rate the show, leave us reviews. We will read them on the podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We are at the GameCube Pod. If you want our logo on your shower curtain or a clock for some reason, search the GameCube podcast on redbubble.com. You'll find uh, our shop, which we just created. If you want our uh, podcast logo, that's there now and a whole bunch of merchandise. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We are here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Last week, we covered the 007 Nightfire classic game on the Nintendo GameCube, one of the greatest games of all time, in our opinion. Check it out if you haven't already. This week, we are covering the weird games you may have rented once from Blockbuster because your cousins were coming over and there was no (laughs) copies of Melee left. Those games are Darkened Sky, Metal Arms, Glitch in the System, Dr. Muto, or Muto, we're not sure yet, Alien Hominid, and Ribbit King. We will be joined by a few friends along the way. But first, Mike, let's talk about a little ditty called Doshin the Giant. Yeah, so I put out a kind of a feeler on Reddit, Facebook, other platforms that we like to frequent, and I asked, what is one of the strangest games that you've ever played? 
uh, for the GameCube. And, you know, kind of with the context as well as a strange, weird game that is actually a lot of fun. And the one that I saw the most of that people commented uh, for was that uh, Doshin the Giant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doshin the Giant is, well, it was a European-only release for the GameCube. It was released on September 20th, 2002. It's developed by Param, published by Nintendo. Platform, it's only on the GameCube. Uh, it's rated 3 out of 5, so it's considered a good game according to the GameCube anthology. And today, if you're looking to pick it up, it's around $50, but you're only going to be able to find a PAL version. However, mm-hmm. this game was also released on the 64DD in Japan. Now, the 64DD was a peripheral in Japan, released only, and you could play discs on the N64. It was released there as well, but we're talking about the GameCube version today, obviously. Yeah, cool to see another 64DD title come up here. It seems uh, there's been actually quite a few that have kind of found their way over to GameCube, you know, such as uh, Star Fox Adventures, Cubivore, uh, Eternal Darkness all ones that uh, were were meant for the 64DD and Dosh and the Giant, another one. So this is technically a bonus game. Ooh, bonus. Right on. Cool. Yeah, this doesn't count in our 555 North American game because this game was not released in North America. I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird game for sure. Definitely fits the criteria of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so to just kind of take the listeners through it, it's a god game, and what we mean by a god game is when you kind of have the ability to change the scenery, change to, uh, the geography of of a land, uh, and you often kind of act as a a large entity of some mm-hmm. sort. Uh, you could even consider Animal Crossing to be a bit of a god game, uh, the, the new Animal Crossing with uh, the terrain editor. But mm-hmm. um, as in Dosh and the Giant, you play as a massive yellow giant who is uh, kind of featureless except for a nice little smile and a little and a belly button. hair. And a, and a belly button that, that is very weirdly and uh, uh, placed very low on him. It's not placed right at all. <laughs> no, it's very <laughs> off-putting for sure. It looks like something else. It's, it looks like someone who was working on this game, a developer, had – he thought he had three more weeks to work on the character model but found out he only had a half hour <laughs> and had to submit his work by the end of the day. That's exactly what it feels like. Like the arms are perfectly symmetrical. He's got no bones and no <laughs> muscular feature at all. He's just all torso and then little legs, very long arms, kind of like an elongated monkey. And yeah, Mike said it perfectly. It's a god simulator where you interact with the world and you you have like these little villagers – uh, all around you and you manipulate the trees and the and the land and then they either love you or they hate you based on your actions so you're basically like a god to them and the game is very chill there's no time limit the controls are very simplistic so it's actually a perfect game for people or children who are just getting into video games but yeah it's just like there's no voice acting the graphics are uh, there is uh at the beginning there's, there's a narrator the... yeah but yeah. like dodge and the giant does not talk no no yes yes but the best part of the game, I don't know if you found this, Mike, in your research, but you can actually transform from Doshin the Giant to Gashin the Giant or Jashin. Yes. Yeah, which is basically like the devil. Yeah, it's very <laughs> strange. So there's Doshin is like the, the the nice guy and Gashin is like the, yeah, like the, like you said, like the devil. And you literally get, you become red, you mm-hmm. get little horns and you and fly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's when the game actually looked like it was the most fun. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you can jump higher, you can move faster, you become a little bit bigger, I believe. But that's when 
the the villagers start to dislike you because you're obviously the devil. You're destroying the, the forest. You're destroying their homes. So you want to have more of a you you either you extend your love meter or you extend your hate meter depending on how the villagers think of you. Yeah, that's a really cool uh, thing that I I really enjoyed about uh, when I was researching watching this game is is the love hate meter. I think that's a really cool mechanic. I haven't really seen that in many games before. The only thing that comes to mind right away is I think of a PlayStation Three franchise called Infamous. Which is kind okay. of like a superhero game. It was uh, Sony's take on a uh, on a superhero, like an original superhero before they started doing Spider-Man. Yeah. And based on your actions, like on the side missions you do, you either become a hero or a villain. So mm. there's that. Like it's it's put into games like that where you make a decision. There's other open world games too where I think they do that in Mass Effect too, right? Where depending yeah. on your yeah, you either become a certain. Uh, faction or the other good or bad fallout a little bit like that too with yep. the uh, karma system but this mm-hmm. this was kind of a different different take on it considering like it's a god game right and it's it's uh it's almost like a sim so i thought yeah. it was it was a neat way to differentiate itself yeah that mechanic is really a sim thing like i think of something like uh, zoo tycoon yeah like the, the animals hate or like your zoo based on if you give them trees if you give them enough space to live it's very similar to that yeah it's it's i just find it's not as um pronounced i guess mm-hmm. as in this where it's like very much like this is the game no that's true it's is there anything else to this game though? Like you, <laughs> you, you come out of the ocean every morning, and then you yep. go back into the ocean at the end of every day. There's no, there's no real time limit. There's day night cycles, but that's about it. So it actually reminds me a bit of Pikmin in that sense, yeah. and just also the graphics very much remind me of Pikmin. I'm not sure if you got that feel too. I did, but it felt like a very early version of Pikmin. Like this game does yes. not look as good as Pikmin. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. I, I it's it's kind of too bad that it because it's really just a 64 DD game, mm-hmm. uh, and it's go it's kind of too bad that this game hasn't been remastered or done again in a different way. Because I feel like it could look beautiful because all the the things are in place here, and really this is a, a very early kind of iteration of something like Journey. You know, yes. or or our games like that. It's uh, and also an early iteration of you know uh, like Animal Crossing, like New Horizons too. So mm-hmm. it's, I think this game would actually do well today. I think it would too. Like you said, if it just got upresed, I've seen footage of it playing on a GameCube and it looks very rough. I've seen footage of it playing on the Dolphin emulator and it looks better. Yes, like it, yeah, because they just there. upgraded the textures. Yeah, the textures look a little bit better. There's still major pop-in and frame rate issues, but it looks improved if they could just mm-hmm. improve it a little bit more. I think you could definitely polish this game up a little bit, put a small team on it for six months, and then put it out on the eShop for $15.99 or $14.99, yeah. $20, and just say, hey, I'd look, Game- yeah, GameCube Classic never released in the States. Dosh and the Giant. Don't judge it by its cover, please. <laughs> and is this, is I, I forgot, you, you probably already said this, but is this a Nintendo published game? Yes. Okay, it is, yeah. So yeah. another another Cubivore-esque kind Basically, of game here. Basically, I get yeah. huge Cubivore vibes from this game as well. It's just one For of those. Sure. Yeah, Cubivore is like a sort of a, a uh, evolutionary game. This game is like a god game. It's just a weird mm. small mechanic that they tried to make an entire game out of, but it obviously didn't appeal to a broad market. This game did not sell great. Um, do you, Mike, I have one more question, though. Do you think Doshin should be in Smash? I would love Dawson to be in Smash. Me too. I, 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 I'm not even kidding. I would actually like Dawson to be in Smash. One, it would make people mad. Yes, <laughs> it's just huge. <laughs> and, and two, he he would be a very unique character. Yeah, and I'm yeah. all about unique characters. Yeah, and he has these. He has his model. He has his character model flip where he can go from his yellow giant, yeah, who, who can barely walk, to his devil character <laughs> who can jump real high. Who can I don't know what else he can do. He can move fast. I guess he can hit people with his spaghetti-like arms, mm-hmm. but. It'd be a lot of fun. 
I just do want to say one thing. Uh, this game kind of gets a little dark at one point. Um, once you've reached every combination of tribes, that's kind of what you're trying to do in this game, uh, possible. Um, the islanders then build one final monument called the Tower of Babel, uh, which causes the island and uh, Doshin to sink into the sea, thus killing everyone. So they nuke themselves. Yes. <laughs> what? However, however, the next day a new island appears uh, in the shape of Doshin himself. Oh. Uh, with two members of each tribe on it as before. And so you can kind of keep playing it that way. That's like the new game plus. There is a hidden ending, ending as well, with uh, only on the GameCube version, with the Islanders uh, not building a monument this time, uh, but instead building a large rocket that blasts them up to space. Also very realistic about how the world is going right now. We're either going to nuke ourselves or we're going to pull an interstellar and go out into space and start again. Yep. So I think Dawson is just, you know, a reflection of our times. I suppose so. I suppose so. <laughs> now, Mike, this obviously this game does not count as an official game for the GameCube is Cool podcast, but do you mind if I read the back of the case anyway? Yeah, go for it. The legend is alive. An ancient legend has passed from generation to generation. According to this legend, a giant will appear at sunrise. It seems that today the wait has come to an end. Will this enormous yellow giant help the islanders to develop their culture? And if he does, what will come then? Prepare to rule your own world. Nice. Hmm. Cool. I I'm prepared. I'm very prepared to rule my own world. You know what I'm also prepared for mm -hmm. is to talk about Dark and Sky. Ooh, good good transition, Mike. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> All right, Dark and Sky was released on May 30th, 2003, developed by Boston Animation, published by Simon & Schuster. It's also on PC. This game gets a one out of five stars. It's bad. Priced at about $50 today. Do not spend $50 on this game. Uh, Boston Animation, the developer of this game, uh, listeners may know them for classic titles such as Eminem, The Lost Formula, and Scrabble Online. <laughs> so this is a game, so you say it's bad, Neil, which yeah. is fair. You know, it doesn't get great reviews, but this is a game that a lot of people and users love for some really? whatever reason. Yes. Yeah, I, I, when I when I did my little Reddit poll, a lot of people brought up Dark and Sky uh, as one of their favorite games. Uh, that oh. they've played that's very strange. It's definitely a really weird game and unique. Uh, and I think that touches on something that a lot of people, you know, have never kind of seen before. You know, because for someone like me, I, I value uniqueness over how good something is. Yes, like you like Episode 8 of Star Wars, for example. Exactly, because it's different. I don't like to see repetition and predictability. I get that. Uh, and so I think there's obviously some people like me who are fans of that and for whatever reason really love Dark and Sky. So what do, what do you what appeals to you about Dark and Sky? Because for, for those of you that don't know, Dark and Sky is an action-adventure RPG exclusive to the GameCube other than the PC port. So it's an action-adventure game. Now, it does do a lot of fourth wall breaking. The script is very yeah. obscure, I'm going to say. Like they... They reference how the game has a script and that there's a marketing team and that there are developers. Is that what you like about the game? Is that it's an RPG that just kind of breaks that fourth wall? That is actually one of them for sure. That's one of the reasons that I, I think that game is very interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to go out of my way and say I like this game because I've never played it. And right. I really just heard it about it because of this podcast. Sure. But I, I'm interested in this game more than anything else. And it definitely fits the criteria of very strange games. We haven't even gotten into the weirdest part of this game. Mike, this game is a Skittles game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Also, how did they get like Skittles branding? Like only in 2002 could this happen. I I'm glad you asked. Yeah, this game is completely just a licensed Skittles game. So like how I made a joke that Simon & Schuster made an Eminem the Lost Formula game. There's also games like Eminem Racing. This game is actually a game to let to advertise the Skittles candy, uh, the little candies with the S on them. Not 
They're, they're not little gems, not like a like a lost <laughs> or orb that you need to find. It's literally a candy in this game. Okay, so Simon and Schuster were in talks with Mars Inc. Mars Inc. are the company. They obviously make Mars bars, but they also have M&Ms and Skittles under their umbrella. So Simon and Schuster were asked to make, or they were asking to make a M&M game. And they obviously did with M&Ms and the Lost Formula. But they also asked for the Skittles license as well as a backup, <laughs> just in case yellow and red weren't available to make a game. <laughs> but as fate would have it, they ended up getting both. So the studio went in to develop two games. They made M&M and the Lost Formula. And according to the M&M wiki page, there is one, uh, that game is considered to be the best M&M video game. <laughs> <laughs> also the only M&M video game. No, there's M&M Racer on Wii, uh, of course. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that's right, there is. I've yeah, yeah. I'm not joking about M&M games, they were big for a little while. <laughs> but Mars was thinking, hey, we need to market our product to, our product Skittles to a younger generation since, um, or sorry, to a younger generation, because at the time, Skittles were primarily eaten by people above the age of 20. So they wanted to start to market towards younger kids. And they thought, what better way to do this than to create a video game based on the candy? But it wasn't huh. going to be like a racing game or a, a party game. It was literally going to be this action RPG, kind of like a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. The Skittles is actually a huge twist in yes. the game. <laughs> yeah, there's no mention of Skittles on the box art or anything. You don't know no. about it until you start playing the game. It's a surprise. It's like the biggest twist of any video game ever. So I tried not to look up too much for it. And when I first saw the, the video of it, I was like watching a YouTube Let's Play. And um, I saw that on the health bar in the middle is mm -hmm. there's, there's a, an orange S. Yep. And I was like, or like a, an orange circle with a white S in the middle. And I was like, what the, is this Skittles? And then I looked <laughs> it up and yep, sure enough. It is Skittles. Yeah, you, you go around the world, you collect Skittles uh, for special attacks, for magic power, for health. You combine Skittles to, to learn new abilities. It's it's of they go full on with the Skittles and actually, when the developers went to Mars with the a three hundred page script, uh, Skittles just had the they had the feedback to say please remove damn. There was one <laughs> line taken out of the script I guess to make it more kid friendly and they had to remove all snakes from the game. Apparently there were snakes in the game, but oh. they allowed snake like creatures to be in the game. I guess they didn't want any ties to real like animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. I, I guess, guess yeah. that's probably yeah. why. But yeah, the le the levels are based around the Taste the Rainbow campaign. Do you remember yes. that, Mike, from the 90s? <laughs> yeah, 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 I wanted to set them to get into that for sure, which is hilarious. It even goes deep into that, where like the commercials, for the younger listeners that don't remember, these commercials had like colorful birds that would rain Skittles down from the sky. There was a Stonehenge thing. There's a wizard summoning Skittles from the sky. All of these things are in the game. <laughs> so what happened with, with this development, it feels like, is that they went in because actually uh, it wasn't even made by Boston Animation. Uh, it was actually developed in U the Ukraine, so it was outsourced. Oh, so although okay. Boston Animation is the developer on the box, it was actually made by these uh, a, a studio in the Ukraine. They didn't want credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny because it seems like they just outsourced it. So they're like, yeah, just you know, this is some dumb Skittles game. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. do whatever you want. And then the devs, as they went along, actually tried to make this a good game <laughs> they, they, and you like, can definitely see that someone tried yeah exactly it was that. like effort was definitely put into this yeah so much effort to the the fact that when boston animation saw the game at the end they actually wanted to remove the the skittles <laughs> uh references from the game they did uh, it was too they, late yeah, it was too late at that point, obviously, because it was basically a shipped product. But I thought I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> that it actually ended up being like a, a real game. And obviously, the Skittles is definitely a, a pretty big detractor because yeah. it just makes this game. It just takes away the fact that this is like 
you know, a piece of art or something. It's just now it's just a, f- a merchandising yeah, <laughs> tool. Yeah, it's a merchandising attempt. It is funny, though, that they were able to get Skittles taken off of the box art, which is probably the best they could do. I got to say, the box art is really good. It that's pulls one of the you things in. I, yeah, yeah. I, I want, I, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up is, is something of this that I liked was that, yeah, the, the box art is, is quite well done. Yeah, the box art is good. Like they put a lot of, like I said, like this game looks like a team put a lot of effort into it at yeah. one point in time. A hundred percent. And then it just, uh, I mean, it, I think it was kind of, they put effort in too late. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They, they, they figured that they had something on their hands. It almost is like a Star Fox adventure game. I don't want to say that, but it feels like you're watching a Star Fox adventure with game. With the spear, people. especially. Yes. That's what uh, it reminds me. She reminds me a lot of like kind of crystal, you know? Yeah, the lead character is Sky, uh, as Darkened Sky is the name of the game. And that the main character is actually voiced by Linda Larkin, who most people would know her as the voice of Jasmine from Aladdin. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I don't know where they got her from and why she agreed to do it, but they got some they got a few <laughs> voice actors in there that I guess had nothing to do in the early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah, but like, like I said, the script is not great. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking and like yeah, they, they say things like, Oh, it was written in the script, that's why I said it or they, they say Skittles marketing team yeah. <laughs> in the game. So I love the idea of it. That's yes. I think that's the best way to sum up this game. And it's probably I, I can't I've never seen another Skittles game, so it may be the only Skittles <laughs> game out there. And we are the number one Skittles podcast on the internet. That we are I don't want to say that yet. I don't want to say that without there's checking no, first. There's no way there's a Skittles only podcast. Ah <laughs> oh, man, twenty eight episodes in, the Skittles podcast. Oh my god, there are Skittles podcasts. <laughs> Never mind. We are not the best Skittles podcast on the on the internet. That goes to Candyology one oh one, uh the Skittles show. Hmm. Uh there's there's a few, so Okay, we'll have to check them out and see if they want to come on the podcast sometime. Until then, do you want me to read the back of the case for this game so we can put it to bed? Go for it. You are Sky of Lin Laura, recruited as hero, number one in the battle against evil. Wield powerful magic, solve ancient mysteries, save the world. And you can visit www.darkensky.com. I did not check to see if the website still exists yet. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that right now. Okay, go for it. All right, now I'm not fully convinced that this next game is featuring a real doctor of medicine, but we are going to find out. Chris is here joining us today, back from our Scooby-Doo episode, as listeners may remember. Chris, is Dr. Mudo a real family doctor, or would he be more of like a mad scientist? Yo, I think this guy got his PhD at the flea market or something, man. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, like, if you take a look at him, man, he looks like a fake-ass Professor E guy, Bill Nye the Science Guy looking guy. He looks like he he should be in Breaking Bad, like, making the heroin or whatever. He looks like Crack, the person. (laughs) He looks like (laughs) the embodiment of Crack. So Dr. Muto was released on May 3rd, 2002, uh, developed and published by Midway. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. Rates 3 out of 5, so it's a good game. Priced at like 35 bucks today. It's a 30 sorry, it's a 3D platformer. Uh Chris, what are your memories of this game? Mike and I had literally never heard of this game until we started this podcast. So take us back. When did you first play it? Man, I like when I was a kid, I liked playing those weird games, man. So whenever I saw like a weird ass uh looking cover i'm like okay i gotta get that so i saw dr muto and i'm like all right that's weird i'm weird i'm buying this take all my allowance <laughs> uh yeah it's like a 3d platformer and you're like this uh <laughs> you're like this crazy looking this crazy looking doctor scientist guy and it's pretty much like one of those games where like you run around and collect stuff 
and he's going to like all these different futuristic planets and like collecting like this little DNA molecule Jimmy Neutron looking ass items. You also have to like find DNA from enemies and then you can morph into them or something like that and like it'll help you through other areas of the game. Yeah, that that's what I got from like reviewing the game. I read some of the stories and and what the plot's all about. So basically, you've blown up the earth into four fragments and you've gone to like these other worlds to go get them back basically to put the earth back together, which is very Jimmy Neutron-esque like you said. Uh, and then you, the whole point of the game is that you take the DNA and you can transform into animals, kind of like Mario Odyssey almost, or or Geist even, where like you can make, you can become spiders, mice, gorilla, fish, flies, and even pterodactyls. Yeah, it's it's like a cool concept, but yeah, it is a lot like if you ever played the Jimmy Neutron games for GameCube, it's a lot like that. Mm. It's just pretty much Jimmy Neutron with like a cursed skin, <laughs> like nightmare fuel. It's actually a pretty cool idea for a game, and I do want to just uh, kind of touch on one thing. So this is the last game designed by Ed Logg, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ed Logg. No. But he is the creator of Asteroids. Oh! And Centipede, Millipede, the the Gauntlet series. What? So this is like one of the original like video game developers. What? And he retired after this game. <laughs> You're blowing my mind. <laughs> right? Now, all of a sudden, it's become a good game. <laughs> And also, like, Midway, we keep talking about Midway. They keep popping their head up, usually with sports games or racing games. But here they are again, developing and publishing this last game made by a classic video game developer. Makes sense, too, because it's like an arcade, you know, like, Midway's an arcade company, and this guy made arcade games. So Yeah. So, Chris, have you played this game recently? Like, does it hold up, or do you know? Like, do you have? did you only play it when you were a kid back in 2003? Or So, this one, yeah, this one uh, I just played when I was a kid. I haven't played it recently at all, but I looked up like some gameplay like before coming on the podcast. I'm like, oh, oh, ah. <laughs> but uh, no, so I, I wouldn't give like the best summary of this game because it's not so fresh right. in my mind. But, you know, it, it doesn't look too bad. And now that I know that like <laughs> the Asteroids guy made it, I'm thinking like, OK, it should it be, might be right. It might be worth something someday. Who knows? I mean, the game was praised for like its cartoony life, uh, cartoony art style. Like, it looks pretty good. Like, it looks like a Saturday morning 3D art cartoon, sort of like what we got into with, like, I want to say, like, Monster in the Attic, but a little better than that. Um, also, like, the story was pretty good. Like, it, not a bad idea for a story, especially when you just need a basic 3D platformer. Like, story does not matter, ever. And then the music was also pretty decent, original music in a video game. So the only thing it was really criticized for was the camera, which, again, was a huge issue with most 3D platformers in the early 2000s. And then just unnecessarily large levels, like, I think that was it. That's what I noticed when I was watching. Like, these levels are huge, but with not a lot going on in them. Have you guys played Ukulele? A little bit, yeah. I, ha I haven't, but I mean, I know it's, like, by the people who made Banjo. Okay, so something that really pissed me off about Ukulele was, uh, instead of making new levels, they just expand the current levels you're in. Mm. So I guess that's kind of, like dr muto-esque yeah that's not really that great i i'd rather have fewer levels in a 3d platform or make the game shorter and just give me like eight really good levels like mario 64 style where it's just small and there's like a mountain with boulders coming down it like i'm set <laughs> yeah i agree 100 100 i gotta say it's such a weird looking game like it's it's so strange to watch but i can't like take my eyes off it 
I don't know what they are. They're like armadillos with like a, a steel shell. Oh, I looked that up. They're called roaches. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're they're kind of they're a cool design. I'm I'm down for that. This game is a trip, dude. It is a trip for sure. This game is honestly a trip. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That is the best way to put it. All right. Cool. I'm gonna read the back of the case and then we'll move on to uh, Alien Hominid. Does that sound good, guys? Sounds good. Let's do it up. Why clone when you can morph? Morph into five strange creatures, from a gorilla to a mouse, using Dr. Muto's amazing spliz gun. What's a spliz gun? <laughs> Use a wide variety of gadgets only a mad scientist could invent, such as rocket boots and super baller. Defend yourself against burly rent-a-cops, vicious guard dogs, and other henchmen of your rival Professor Burnitall. Run, jump, and blast your way through four fantastic worlds, from the vast water realm of Aquium to the underground mines of Mazon. Wow. Sounds fun. Uh, yeah, Man. the names are pretty fun. There's one that was a good pun, and I forget it now. Not Splizgun. Splizgun is great, though. <laughs> the, oh, uh, the home the home planet is Midway. Oh, is it actually? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Professor Burn It All. Ah, very punny, very punny. They try and have some fun with the game, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Alien Hominid was released on November 3rd, 2004, developed by The Behemoth, published by Zero Three Entertainment. Uh, it's also on PC, PS2, Xbox, and Xbox 360. This game gets a 4 out of 5 stars. It's priced today at around 70 bucks, which is really expensive. It's a 2D beat-em-up action platformer, kind of like the classic SNES kind of Final Fight games. This game is sick. I don't know if you guys have played it or not, but like... Dude, I was playing this game last night, and it is so much fun. Like, the guns are cool. Like, it, this game is weirdly violent. Like, when you shoot people, blood comes out of their throats. Like, if you shoot them with a certain gun, they get cut in half, and you see their spines. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you. So this is a – so I was a Newgrounds kid as a, when, I was, when I was a wee tot, and this, this game was okay. on Newgrounds. So I'd run this on the computer all the time, man, and then I found out it's for GameCube. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sign me up. And not only is it for GameCube, but when this game came out, it was a budget title, so it was only 20 bucks. Damn, I don't remember that. Which is so wow. good. Yeah, it was cheap. I mean, it got more expensive. When I bought this game, I think it was I think I bought this game for around $30, maybe 40, because it's going up in price, but now it's $70, which is really high. Yeah, wow. wow. Yeah, the only thing I know about Alien Hominid is the fact that it's I think it's it's made by the same people who made Castle Crashers. Yep. That's right. Okay. Yeah, like there you go. this that's, was that's my that's my contribution. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is their first game. Or they cut their teeth, like Chris said, on uh, Newgrounds. They were like a Flash game. Like th this, They put out a beta of Alien Hominid, and it was played over 20 million times online. Just a short game, and then they figured, holy crap, we need to make this into a real game. So they expanded it. They made it a real game with bosses and more levels. And then eventually they put it out on a bunch of consoles, PS2, GameCube, Xbox. And it's just such a cool game to play. There's so much in this game. Like... And it's really hard, too. Like, it's not an easy game to play. Like, you look at it, you think it's like, a, oh, it's a cartoony game. This little alien guy looks like Invader Zim. I can probably do this. And then you, <laughs> you, you hook it up. And it's actually, like, it's not that easy. Like, it, if you die, you have to start again. Like, I don't know. Uh, that's the other thing I know. I know that it's a notoriously difficult game. Yeah. Um, this game, honestly, I had a lot of fun with it as a kid. I, I never even got close to beating it because of how hard it was. But mm -hmm. honestly, you go back and look at it and play it, and this game holds up, man. This game yeah. really does hold up. The art style is so original. I love it. The The difficulty is – it's brutal. I love it. And honestly, <laughs> it's it's just like that classic arcade-style game that I love oh so much. Yeah, they don't make enough games like this anymore. And even on the GameCube, this was the only – really one of the few 2D games on GameCube. Like there were none. I mean there already were none on the N64, but then this was – 
like other than maybe Beautiful Joe, I can't think of any more off the top of my head. No. And this was just those games, like I said, a couch co-op beat 'em up game, just like what Castle Crashers ended up being. I think Castle Crashers is probably better than Alien Hominid. But still, to have this on GameCube was just so cool. You can play four-player, multiplayer. Everyone's on the screen at once, just beating up FBI agents. Your aliens on Earth. This game is bursting with charm. Like, there's so much happening on screen. The backgrounds, things are blowing up. Like, people are on fire. It's really funny. Bursting, bursting with charm, and and it's so unique. Like, you'll never find anything else like this. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I honestly, I love this game. And all you GameCube people listening to this right now. Go out and get this. $70. Just, you know, work for a couple hours or something. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> Pay for it, man. Buy it. It's totally true. Did, Chris, did you ever play this game with a friend, though? Like, I always played it I always played it one player. I didn't I didn't play it with two people. Is it easy? Or did you do it multiplayer at all or no? I don't think I did. But I do remember being like, oh, multiplayer. Okay. But then every time I went to my friend's house or they come over, we just end up playing, like, Mario Party or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. This game has a lot of, actually has a lot of co-op modes. Like, you can play the campaign co-op, or there's a ton of, like, little mini games if you wanted to play those. There's also a level editor, which is, like, above and beyond what they need to do for a game like this. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much you can do with a friend in this game, which is which is great. And it's actually, actually, if you don't want to pick up the game for $70 on GameCube, if people just want to wait a few more months uh, extra on PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, they're going to be putting out a reimagining of Alien Hominid. I, for, I forget what it's being called now, but um, what? I think it's called Alien Hominid Reimagined, but there you go. Damn. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Dude, I'm ready, right? man. I'm ready. <laughs> I, I'm very curious what they're going to do because this is like, I mean, honestly, though, you could put exactly this game out at, like today and it would still be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Have you guys ever... Uh... Heard of a game called Dad and Me? No. no. So it's the no. same creators, and basically, uh, this is a game like I all like. Once I saw Alien Hominid on GameCube, I'm like, come on, put Dad and Me on GameCube, please. <laughs> so basically, uh, you're like this bully, and you're going, <laughs> you're going around the playground, and you're just beating the shit, <laughs> kids. <man. laughs> oh, it's also Newgrounds, yeah. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching footage of this right now. It's definitely the same animation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I remember that, but I might remember seeing people play it. But I, I played Line Rider on Flash. That's the only game I think I remember playing. And then Alien Hominid I played on uh, on GameCube. And then mm-hmm. uh, Castle Crashers I played on PS3 eventually. Hey. Yeah, buddy. No, I'm glad, glad that you're still psyched about this game. And Chris, I hope you pick up Alien Hominid, the reimagined version on Switch, and maybe we can play it online or something. Who knows? That sounds like a lovely plan to me, man. I'm so I'm so hyped for that. I had no idea. <laughs> I learned something new all the time. There we go. Le- learning stuff on the GameCube pod. Heck yeah, man. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much for coming on today, man. Really appreciate it. Anything you wanted to say to the listeners before we let you go? Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you're becoming a professional now. You're a uh, second time on the show. Thanks for thanks so much for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care. Yeah, you. See you, buddy. All right, bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. That was awesome to have Chris on there to talk about uh, Alien Hominid, you know, a game that I had played a little bit of uh, before, but very, very briefly and doubted me. Oh, my God. Yeah, you have to look this up. As soon as I as soon as I saw images, like I got crazy flashbacks. I'm not sure if I've ever played this game, but I definitely recognize these maybe from memes or something. Probably. Yeah, I feel like now the internet meme, the whole meme culture thing has just put memories into my brain where I feel like I've watched a TV <laughs> know, right? show, even though I've never seen it in my life. <laughs> 
It's so funny. Mike, by the way, I need an update. Is uh, darkensky.com, does that work? Yeah, that's still loading. So, <laughs> okay, so it's, it's, it's <laughs> the site cannot be reached. There's one person working on that uh, <laughs> server now still. <laughs> just there asleep today. Uh. But yeah, talking about Alien Hominid just brought back so much memories when I think about Flash games and just being a young lad at uh, in grade school or high school playing something on my browser. Like I said, I, I played a lot of Line line Rider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get ready for our next uh, podcast, um, which is going to be after the GameCube is done. It's going to be miniclips.com uh, is cool. Yeah, that, I won't be the co-host on that. But anyway, this is a quick one. Let's read the back of the case now for Alien Hominid and we'll move on to our next game and caller. Yeah, it's multiplayer, power up, mini games, fight stuff. Alien Hominid is rock solid and a blast to play. Everyone likes to root for their underdog, and this time it's the underdog. is packing one hell of a game. Your UFO has crash landed, and the FBI is out to get you. Time to take them out. Sounds like a pretty sweet game. I love it, Chris loves it, and you will love it too. But now, it's time to move on to our next caller. We have a very special guest today, all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We have the host of the Still Loading Podcast. Josh is here to talk about Metal Arms Glitch in the System. Josh, how are you doing today? Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be called a nice young man after I leave. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's a nice young man here. Uh, yeah, so we brought Josh on today because he uh, he has played the game Metal Arms Glitch in the System, which Mike and I have uh, no experience with other than the Let's Plays we've seen on YouTube. So just a quick fact about the game. Uh, Metal Arms Glitch in the System was released on November 18th, 2003, just past its 17th birthday. That's big news. Uh, developed by Swingin' Ape Studios, published by Sierra Entertainment. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. It rates about 4 out of 5, so it's a pretty great game, actually. Uh, priced today at around $45 Canadian, and the genre of this game would be classified as a third-person shooter, which was uh, kind of ahead of its time for early 2000s, since this is a long time before, or at least a few years before, Resident Evil 4 and Gears of War. So, Josh, take us back. Uh, what are your memories of playing this game back in the day? Did you, first of all, Mike, you have to ask every guest the uh, the inaugural question, so why don't you go ahead? Oh, yes. Uh, did you own a GameCube back in the day, Josh? I did not. Well, no, so not during launch. Uh, I got one later on, pretty much around when the Wii came out. I was always kind of one of those later console adopters, mm-hmm. with the exception of the PS4, I think was the first console I got at launch. But yeah, so I did not have a GameCube right at launch i didn't really play it much during its life cycle except over at friends houses but i got it later on so were you a playstation 2 kid at the time or xbox what what console was your console of choice then at the or did you not play any of these games until the wii ps3 xbox 360 came out uh no i i was a playstation 2 kid i had that my parents got that from my brothers and i when i was a kid so i actually did a full series on my own podcast for the summer of playstation 2 because it turned 20 this year mm, right so i covered a bunch of old playstation 2 games uh and whatnot so playstation 2 is my go-to but uh gamecube is always something where i would have debates with my friend who like i said would go over to his house he's been on my show a couple times his name's tristan and we would always you know playfully debate which was better, you know, PlayStation 2 or GameCube. And obviously it's all up to opinion. But uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that the GameCube, while it didn't have as strong of a library due just to size uh, as like the PS2, the hits that were on GameCube were monumental genre-defining hits. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think we do, considering we have a podcast completely dedicated <laughs> to the GameCube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mike and I were both GameCube kids. We didn't own PS2s. I had one way later just to play Rock Band and Guitar Hero when that craze was was everywhere mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we figure that every time you talk to people about GameCube games 20 years later now, it just feels like the memories are so much stronger for GameCube games. Not to say that there aren't some great games on PS2. It had 
it had, you know, Gran Turismo, it had Grand Theft Auto, and I love Shadow of the Colossus personally, mm-hmm. but I, I just feel like that the GameCube games just have a different place in, in gamers' hearts uh, 20 years later, so. I do think it. a lot of it depends on who you talk to as well. Like, a lot sure. of kids in my neighborhood were, like, we would have Halo parties. We would all yes. connect our Xboxes, and I had a bunch at my house growing up, so I think it really just depends on who you talk to. Most of the kids I knew were PlayStation kids, with the exception of the one GameCube kid down the street. But um, <laughs> that, weird, that was us. That was us. <laughs> a weird kid. Well, True. I will say though, even though I'm more of a PlayStation Two guy, the GameCube is always a console where I feel like there is a bunch of untapped hidden gems that just nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Some of them have started to kind of come out, you know, like Eternal Darkness mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And now, unfortunately, they're stupid expensive yeah. because of that reason. But I feel like along the same lines, there's a lot of hidden potential in the GameCube library that is just waiting to be unearthed. Agreed. And because a lot of these games uh, are co-op and, you know, four players, uh, which a lot of, you know, uh, PlayStation and Xbox games, other than obviously like things like Halo, uh, you know, really, th- those were more, you know, one person kind of consoles for the most part for mm-hmm. PS2 and Xbox. GameCube was trying to be mature while also trying to get the family kind of games uh, and that family market. So it's a really interesting era in Nintendo. Uh, and really the last time we see Nintendo competing directly with uh, PlayStation and, uh, and Xbox. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, Xbox also kind of focused on party because it had the four controller ports at the front right uh but definitely ps2 you're right because that only had two controller ports and you'd have to spend extra money just for the ability to to get four players on and also xbox pioneered online gaming which once again encourages multiplayer and whatnot but i think nintendo really has tried to get a community effort for its consoles i mean you look at N64, GameCube, Wii, even the Wii U, you know, God, you know, God rest its soul. Um, but like the, the Wii U could support up to five players in some games, which no one had ever had five player couch co-op yeah. until the Wii U. So Nintendo is always just kind of pushing that family friendly, not necessarily family friendly, but that group aesthetic, for lack social of a better gaming. term, of just, yeah, yeah. social gaming. Mm-hmm. and. Pokemon's another good example of that, but I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Yeah, let's 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 get back to to Metal Arms here, uh, the game that we're talking about today, or one of the games we're talking about today. So yeah, Josh, let's just take us through your memories of uh, our first memories of playing this game. So even though I own this game for the PS2, my first memories of it were on the GameCube oh, hmm. because my friend, that quote unquote weird <laughs> kid down the street, <laughs> no, no. Um, he was the one that actually got it. And the reason he was even able to get it is because his family was notoriously strict. They would not allow him to play any games that involved any sort of violence, even if it was rated teen. It could not involve killing humans specifically. It could have violence, but it couldn't involve killing humans hmm. to be more okay. specific. Hmm. So Metal Arms Glitch in the System, it was probably one of the most violent games, but since it was all against robots, it was totally cool. And the thing that I love about this game, and one of the biggest memories about this game that sticks out to me was its damage system, because when you're shooting enemies, or the millbots they're called, you could damage them in specific locations not just shoot them till they explode so if you decide to focus all your fire onto the guy's arm then his arm would start not working properly you could either shoot it off entirely or you could damage it so he no longer is able to control where he's aiming Oh, cool. and that would cause a lot of funny <laughs> to happen because depending on how what weapons these guys had they could damage themselves or their allies so you play as a character named glitch 
and you can sw- swap out weapons like you pretty much think of it like an attachment where he t- takes one uh, weapon that's like grafted into his arm he unattaches that and switches on the others uh the millbots they're permanent you know they can't switch out weapons so if there's a machine gun millbot all that dude's getting is a machine gun if there's a rocket launcher millbot all that dude is getting a rocket launcher and in their non in their non gun hand the millbots they can throw grenades so if you kind of those arms just a little bit they could throw a grenade right into their feet and blow themselves up they could (laughs) shoot a rocket launcher off in the completely wrong direction and blow up some of their allies and you could eventually even shoot them down to where it's just a pair of legs running around (laughs) and those legs would sometimes kick you just to kind of screw with you a bit i love the sound of this game (laughs) i didn't know i didn't know that it had this level of just kind of zany wackiness to it i I thought it was just a shoot 'em up robot game sort of like it looks like a mix of transformers metabots i don't know if you know that anime and uh kind of like clank from ratchet and clank yeah and that's what this character looks like (laughs) but no yeah this game just i it breathes so much creativity so you get tons of different weapons like just looking i have the box here in front of me or the case Mm -hmm. just uh rib uh rifling off some of these guns you have the spew which is essentially a machine gun mining laser which you get a limited ammo but it shoots a laser rivet gun is kind of your sniper rifle slingshot lets you hurl explosives at long distances mm-hmm. uh scatter blaster is your shotgun ripper shoots saw blades that ricochet around the level cleaner is kind of like how can i describe it it's like it you throw it up in the air and it kind of sprays a barrage of rockets. Oh man, <laughs> neat! And then the toaster is a flamethrower. Now okay. each of those weapons, and these are the ones on the back. There might be others that I'm missing, mm-hmm. but uh, you can upgrade each of these. And each upgrade, I believe you can upgrade it three times. But each upgrade adds something extra. Sometimes I shouldn't say all of them, but some of them will add something extra other than more damage or better fire rate. For example, the rivet gun. Once you upgrade it to level three, it gets explosive rounds. So you shoot it at an enemy, it does initial damage on impact, but then it sticks to them and explodes. And probably the coolest gadget or ability is called the, the I think it's called the D-Tether, or I am blanking on the name of it, but it's it, the Control Tether. That's what it is. Okay. It's called the Control Tether. And what you can do, since it's all robots, you can shoot it into the robot's D-Port, which sounds dirtier than it actually is. <laughs> and... Um, you can take over control of the robot like glitch falls to pieces and it like transports his consciousness into this millbots and then you can control the millbot for up to a certain range from where you shot it at them so like you have to stay kind of close to where your body is mm-hmm. but you can take a you can take over the basic millbots and you can take over like some of the more impressive robots like titans which those are robots that have like twin chain guns for arms and shoulder mounted rocket launchers and stuff like that this sounds amazing. There's just, it's a fantastic game. Like, I played so much of it at my friend's house, <laughs> and it it plays really well from what I remember on the GameCube, though it's been a couple of years, because the last time I played it was on my PS2. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this game, I just, I played it so much. There's vehicles, there's multiplayer, there, it's kind of got that Ratchet and Clank thing with a lot of different weapons, and you right. can also upgrade all those weapons. And it's got a fun story, and probably one of the funniest senses of humor from a game from that era like you know how ratchet and clank kind of has that cheeky tongue uh mm-hmm. there that tongue-in-cheek sense of humor mm-hmm. yeah kind of punny yeah mm-hmm. this kind of takes that it adds ro- it's like robot puns but make it a little bit more dirty than ratchet yeah. and clank or a little bit more explicit um and they like all the robots swear and they bleep it out because <laughs> why not and uh the probably the the one line that sticks in my head is that 
there's a there's a mission in the game where you're trying to chase after one of these millbots because he knows the secret to the storyline's crazy, so a lot of the story stuff here is not going to make sense. But you're chasing after the bad guy who's one of the millbots because he knows the secret to the droids' base, and the droids are like rebels. You know, mm-hmm. it's very like Terminator-ish, right? Um, yeah, classic so, robot story. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they you're, you're chasing him, and he runs across a bridge, so the car you're in can't pass it. It's just like this little rickety bridge. So you get out, and the guy who's vo- the and glitch yells back to the guy in the in the car, going, "You know, I'm going to chase him through here. You try to go and head him off at the pass." And the robot who's in the car is like, "Head him off at the pass? Who the f- says that? What are you, some kind of f- cowboy?" But they bleep it all out to keep it teen. <laughs> oh, okay, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw in the back, or at least the front of the case, it says rated T, and then strong strong language and violence. And then when I watched some let's play footage it was all bleeped out and i wasn't sure if that was the actual game or if or if this is actually like (laughs) if they actually swore in the game kind of like like if you ever played conquer's bad fur day on n64 where kind of that rare that rareware vibe in this type of game it's really cool i had no i had no idea i would like to add to that this is technically a midway game uh because the swinging ape studios uh they it's actually the uh, a bunch of guys who came from midway uh, and left there to create their own studio and, and ended up making metal arms. So that would kind of work too, because Midway obviously is known for uh, a lot of crazy games, you know, like the NHL hits and and that the, mm-hmm. the, the, the arcade sports series, obviously NBA Jam and Mortal Kombat. So that kind of all, I guess, ties together in that sense. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because there is the community for this game, which I'm not like too much of a part. Of. Like I don't, I don't keep track of it too much. But anytime I post about this, there is a pretty, there's a, there's a bunch of like Twitter accounts that are like, we want Metal Arms too, and we're never going to get it because Swinging Ape Studios was absorbed into Blizzard. And Correct. yeah, good, good luck <laughs> after that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're making what Diablo now, basically. <laughs> not um, metal whichever arms. Diablo. <laughs> not not metal arms. So God, I, I wish. Just wanted to ask. I know that there's this looks like it has a pretty big multiplayer aspect to it. What was considered the better way to play? Was like the multiplayer what you played more of when you were young, or did you mainly play the campaign? Like, are they both great, or what was like the the selling point of this game to you in terms of like time played versus quality of the game? For me, it was the single player. I'm more of a single player type of gamer. Okay. Uh, but the multiplayer was fun. What I did play of it, it's very kind of reminiscent of what GoldenEye was, but with better controls mm. because it's it's four players, no bots. So you can't really, it's not like, I actually the most recent episode I did listen to you guys uh, was of your Nightfire episode, Ooh. which I guess was literally just last episode when yeah. this comes out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will say though, the world is not enough. You mentioned it. What it was like a bat worse version of Goldeneye. I disagree. That had bots. Goldeneye didn't, mm. and it had more weapons and game modes. So fair, fair enough. Um, yeah, very true. That's an unpopular opinion, though. Most people from the N sixty four era, myself included, prefer Goldeneye to the World Is Not Enough. I've never I heard have of... not played World Is Not Enough. Yeah, so. I rented it once from Blockbuster and thought, "Well, this is not Goldeneye." <laughs> I will say it is definitely a uh, nostalgia goggled opinion because mm-hmm. that is that was my first James Bond game that I played, 
so take that, you know, take my opinion on that for, with a grain of salt. But no, the I kind of compare the multiplayer to this to GoldenEye in the sense there's no bots and it's very reliant on you need four players to kind of make it fun. So it's very reliant on ha- making sure you have four people to play it with. And I never really had four people to play it with. So my multiplayer w- experience with this is very, very limited. The times that I did play, it was fun. Yeah, it looks like it's it's fun multiplayer wise. But like you said, you need four people. It's no Nightfire. Is what, is <laughs> it what is no Nightfire. I, I, though I did, uh, I did kind of joke around with the world's not enough. I like that more than Goldeneye. I a hundred percent agree with you. Nightfire was is the best James Bond game. Period. Thank you. There we go, folks. We got official uh, <laughs> confirmation of what the best James Bond game of all time is. Oh, Thank you, Josh. Yeah. You're well. You're very welcome. But you know, it's, it's this game is a hundred percent worth it. If you have not tried it, I highly recommend giving it a shot. It is incredibly fun. The sense of humor is great. It's got a simple but entertaining story. The voice acting is actually, it's got a crazy cast. Like Dan Castellaneta is in it. Or Castell- what? I, really? Yeah. Mike, you should yeah. know this. Oh my God. I did, I, I did not know that. Let I, me, and I did some research. I didn't find that. Damn it. Let me just double check it. I Because I was looking it up earlier. Because wow. I was trying to think when I was playing. I'm like, who voices all these characters? Uh, yeah, Dan Castella, Castellaneta is... Yeah. Crunk, who is one of the, I think he's kind of like the, um, he's like the loud mouth who says, like, you know, head him off at the pass. Who the hell says that? Oh my God, Patrick Warburton's in this. What? Yeah, Patrick Warburton, <laughs> uh, excuse me, Warburton, Darren Norris, who I remember him, I, I was a little old for the show, but I remember seeing commercials for like Ned's Declassified. He played the yeah, janitor oh in that God. show. Oh, There's yeah. also Rob Paulson, who Paulson, is yep. in Animaniacs. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he did Carl, mm-hmm. too, from Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> <laughs> and also Dave Wittenberg, which I did not know the name. He voices Glitch. He is the voice of Kakashi from Naruto. Oh what? my god! This is an all-star cast. How did we not notice that before? We 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 missed this one. Thank you, Josh, for coming on here and and dropping these truth bombs. No problem. Oh and actually, god. the villain is voiced by Dan Povenmire, who went on to do Phineas and Ferb. Wow! Jeez. This, yeah, this, this like, possibly I... is the best cast in the <laughs> game. <laughs> Corey Burden is kind of like your military commander. I don't know much about him. I'm on IMDb right now, and I'm just waiting for it to like load. Oh my god, he voices I. Th- Pretty sure I'm reading this right. He, I think he voiced Milo in uh, Atlantis, the Disney's Atlantis movie. Wow. Wow. Oh, and he voiced, voiced Hugo Strange in Batman Arkham City. Hmm. Yeah, this dude's, uh, holy crap. Yeah, this dude's done some stuff. He did the Titans and Hercules. Oh, my God. This is. Uh... Oh, he's the voice of Mole, by the way, not Milo. Sorry, in Atlantis. I just wanted to make oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. That. Atlantis. But no, you're right. Like, there's yeah, just so yeah, many cool. of these like amazing voice actors that you had no idea. Like that they just went on to do such crazy things, but they were so unknown at the time. With the exception of maybe like Dan Castellaneta and Rob Paulson from this one, and I guess Patrick Warburton because they had all been in like Dan's from The Simpsons, right? And yeah, he's Homer, and The yeah. Simpsons obviously plays many others. Uh, Patrick Warburton, uh, Neil, and I know him as Putty in yes. Seinfeld, but uh, he's in tons of emperor's things. new uh, groove he's cronk emperor's new groove right. yeah he's cronk uh he was in the tick uh series for a while <laughs> yep. in the series of unfortunate events uh yeah family guy he's joe that's yeah. joe oh my yeah, yeah it's it's a who's who but this game got so like it swept under the radar and i consider it a hidden gem 100 percent. so mm-hmm. seriously if you have not tried it listeners like this is definitely worth your time yeah no we i think neil and i would 100 percent agree with that and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to play this game. Yeah, I need I need to pick this game up now. We need to find this one in one of our stores nearby or eBay or something soon. Damn. 
Cool. Well, Josh, is there anything else you'd like to say about this great game before we let you go? Yeah, well, why don't you uh, pitch your show for the listeners uh, in case they don't, in case they haven't heard of your show? We, uh, that's how I found you was on Instagram. You commented on one of our posts. I listened to your show, and I thought you sound great. And you have a huge backlog of of uh, episodes. What are you now? One hundred and seventy one episodes in. I don't know. Show? I don't count. I just uh, I only count when I have to release. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, which one is this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we try and number them all at the beginning, and for the first couple weeks, it was hard. But I'm trying to get into the habit of doing it. So. Uh, why don't you go ahead on your elevator pitch and uh, and then let the listeners know where they can find you on social as well. Yeah. Uh, so like I, we said at the beginning, my name's Josh. I am the host of the Still Loading podcast uh, on Still Loading. I kind of I consider it like a grab bag of retro and modern gaming topics. I do interviews with people in the industry and I do deep dive uh, kind of looks into retro and modern games. Uh, at the time this is released, I think because your episodes come out what thursdays right that's right um so actually the very next day you're listening to this uh, an episode on the last of us will be coming out on friday but uh i've interviewed people like austin wintery who did the music for journey on ps3 i did interviewed gareth coker who did the music for the ori games or in the blind forest oh, and will nice. the wisps Neat. and i actually for the first time this year i got my first video game designer and voice actor on the show oh two separate people the voice actor was sissy jones who did delilah and firewatch wow. and uh mike micah who's worked on a ton of stuff from the game boy color all the way up to now so wow so i kind of do a little bit of everything so if you like interviews i there that's not all it is i i kind of spread those out and then i just do deep dives on individual games and i try to make series out of it i just wrapped up in october my summer of ps2 series mm-hmm which technically went into fall, but, you know, who's counting? <laughs> and uh, it was just a like a three-month-long celebration of the PS2. Like, every episode was a different deep dive into a different PS2 title. So, wow. yeah, that's that's uh, the Still Loading Podcast. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Still Loading Pod on all of them, and you can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, other places that I don't know, probably. Yeah. So, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I will definitely be taking a listen to The Last of Us uh, uh, pod, or episode when it comes out on Friday. I'm very excited for that. But uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again so much, Josh, for coming on the show, and uh, we hope uh, we can have you on again soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Cool. Thanks a lot, Josh. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you it. got to say it. <laughs> <laughs> he goes down in the history books as a nice young man. <laughs> Well, Neil, uh, I think it's time to read the back of the case for Metal Alarms. I can't wait to read the back of the case for this game in person when I actually own the game as well, because I actually really <laughs> want this game now, but I'm going to have to read the digital copy for now. Dismantling the enemy, one bolt at a time. Blast your way to victory as Glitch, the gunslinging, half-ton, fearless bot of Droid City. Found as scrap metal, but transformed into destructive machinery, Glitch is determined to free his people from the evil clutches of General Corrosive and his mechanical army of... Millbots. Unleash a world of pain as you annihilate General Sinister's plan to dominate the world and salvage the robot race. You see, reading that back of the case, it sounds like a, you know, 10 to 13 year old kids, you know, something they'd be into. It does not sound what it actually is. No, like it sounds like something like, oh, it's Transformers. (laughs) It's like we said, Ratchet and Clank. It's this kind of, you know, robot thing. It's they're fun. They're goofy. They're like cowboys. But then you you start playing it. They're swearing and they're making probably (laughs) sexual references and all this. It's it's really... 
so like I- I'm so glad Josh came on to talk about this because I think if it was just us, we we just kind of be sitting here <laughs> kicking our feet. I'm so glad he brought up the voice actors, like having Dan Castellaneta on yeah. there and Patrick Warburton, and yeah, just the you know obviously I watched footage of this before we came on to do some research. And that was the first thing I thought of, too, was, like, the swearing. I'm like, is this real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was watching Let's Plays, I was like, are they just bleeping it out because it's YouTube? Yeah. But, uh, no, yeah, we would have just been talking about this is a goofy robot game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe pick it up. Maybe don't. But I didn't know that this game also had so much, like, level of not complexity, but just, like, when you shoot certain parts of the robot, it, it makes it malfunction. I love multiplayer shooters when you just have to do something slightly different than just shoot somebody until they're dead, and I'm sold. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we know nothing about this game, but luckily we have two friends calling in to talk to us about this weird title known only as Ribbit King. Back from our Simpsons Hit and Run episode, joining us today, John Cameron. John, are you the Ribbit King? Is is what the news is telling us. Is that true? You're the Ribbit King? Yes, they actually have several medals. Okay. Are they Ribbit King medals or just medals like War- World War II medals? <laughs> no, no, these are just World War II medals, <laughs> but I happen to be fond of Ribbit King on the side. Oh, okay. It's a weird, weird set of hobbies you have there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, but I played it. I did play it. I'm the only person who played it. So uh, anyone else who says they played it is lying. That, that's possible. I mean, like last week we had a, a guest on who wasn't even sure if she played the game we had her on. Talk about, so <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know about this game, but that's probably the best you will find is someone who has played it. And that's <laughs> about as good as it gets. Ribbit King was released on June 8th, 2004, developed by Infinity Jamworks. It was published by Bandai, which is weird. It's also on PS2. It rates 3 out of 5, so it's a good game. Priced at an astounding $175, this game would be considered a golf sim. Would you spend that on this game, John? Here's the thing. No, (laughs) but there is a price. How much are you willing to pay for nostalgia is the (laughs) question. That's fair. Because there is definitely a part of me that wants to get this game. I would probably not pay more than $30 for it. Fair enough. Even if you picked up the PS2 title, though, I think it's still like $100 or 75 I think was the lowest one I saw for like just the disc. I would love to know what the initial run of the game was and how many copies was made were made because I doubt it was many. Yeah, I would I would say quite low, uh, although this isn't like an a- so so a lot of games on the GameCube that are expensive are because of Atlas and Atlas is notorious for not like producing enough copies to meet demand. Yes, that's still to this day even. Exactly. Yeah, difficult. and it, and that's why Cubivore is known as like one of the most expensive games for the cube. But um for this one like Bandai is the publisher and Bandai is Bandai. So like yeah. you would think that they wouldn't have a problem meeting demand and, and supply, but who knows? I guess mixed with the nostalgia. Of the I game. mean, it was the right move. Mm-hmm. They definitely should not have made a million copies of this game. <laughs> not even saying that to flame it. We'll get into that because I really do love this game. But uh, it it is like it is just so Japan. <laughs> yeah, it's not in a good way. It's just such a strange <laughs> game that they really didn't know how to port over to anything to any other country. It's just a really interesting style like it almost at times looks like sanrio like hello kitty kind of designs where you it just the the appeal is so eastern to begin with that it's it's impressive that they actually made other regional versions of this i they made a first there was the first game was japan only Mm-hmm. And it's surprising that they made a second one and then ported that worldwide. Yeah, Karo Karo King is the yeah. one that you're Which talking Which is literally about. Ribbit in Japanese. Oh, <laughs> fair. Yeah, Karo Karo is just the onomatopoeia. Yeah. That's the onomatopoeia for frog. Karo Karo. <laughs> Whoa, that sounded really good. 
I mean, looking at <laughs> looking at the box art for this game, if I didn't look at the title, I would just think, oh, Animal Crossing. I, basically, yeah. yeah like the, the characters are very cute, very kind of chibi designs. A lot of anthropomorphized everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, just awful English voice acting. Oh, but good. that's kind of part and parcel for anything that's not like an anime game. Yeah, I didn't know that there was actually English voicing in this game. That uh, that makes it. So there much is a character who the only voice I remember because I hated it and I still kind of do. <laughs> is this like the referee kind of character who just this may sound offensive but i can't think of a better another character to compare it to he just has a really flamboyant effeminate voice and he's like he's really expressive i think his name's sluggy or sluggo and he doesn't really look like either he's just kind of this uh bipedal black character with like uh, kind of snail eyes where it's like a head then he's got like these antennas oh, with yeah, eyeballs yeah. on them and he just sounds super like a feminine all the time and when you went he's like you did it like, that's just, <laughs> and it's that voice is ingrained in my head and every time I saw him as a kid I was just like shut up and shut up I don't care that I want I don't want to win and he's just really loud all the time <laughs> and that's the only voice I remember and I just was like this is terrible I do not want to hear him anymore so how did you even come across this game then like what where why yeah, did you pick it up question. when did you rent it like what what possessed you to pick up Ribbit King over anything else that day? Also, by the way, he is Sluggy. Uh, that, that is his name. Sluggy? sluggy? Okay, yeah. I definitely, because he does not look like that. Anyone who is uh, anyone who is listening, Google Sluggy Ribbit King, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, Slug, of course. That's what he is. <laughs> uh, this is dating me and us. Well, I mean, this is about the GameCube, so we're, everything in this is dated. Yeah. But uh, my mom randomly rented it from Blockbuster. Oh. And she was like, oh. here, I got this. You might like it. And I did. And I think she's the only person I played co-op with. And it ruined our relationship. No. <laughs> but uh, that's, yeah, literally that's all it was. I don't even think I wanted to try it. I think she <laughs> just grabbed it because she was like, hey, I wanted a movie. And I saw a game. I'm going to watch this movie. You play this game. And that's the only reason I ever played it. But I don't regret it. That's really funny. That might be one of the first times I've heard, like, uh, someone's mom picking up a random game like that. Often I've heard of just, like, uh, someone's older brother had it or something and, and, and showed it to someone. Yeah, usually when, I'm, when like a parent rents a game for you on a whim, it's like, hey, I saw Mario yeah. does does crossover. Like, it's, <laughs> right. I, I saw him, like, you don't, no one really wanted to rent Mario baseball, like, be honest. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you saw Mario and your mom was like, hey, my son likes Mario, he likes baseball, let's yeah. give it a go. And then, you, but yeah, like, she just was like, I don't know, this looks like something weird. He's in a weird stuff. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Now, let's talk uh, for a second about some of the characters here. So, you mentioned Sluggy, obviously, top-tier character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have some really funny names uh, for some of these. Oh, God. I we, don't remember many of them. We have Princess Tippy. Okay, she was cute. I like Princess Tippy. Uh, we have uh, not Link, but Lunk. Yep. He was uh, just like a golem man made of rocks. <laughs> we have not Waddle Dee, but Sir Waddle Lot. I don't even remember. Did they just take all the Nintendo names and make them slightly different? <laughs> That's what it's like. Instead of slippy, uh, tippy. This is this is what's going on. You know, okay. Random (laughs) aside, it actually is very aesthetically similar to Pikmin. Yeah, that that is one of the first things I thought of when I saw this. uh, Saw the actual gameplay. Like when I saw the box art, I thought Animal Crossing. But seeing the gameplay, it feels Pikmin. The sound design as well as the environments are very like Pikmin esque. Yeah, and we have uh, we we talked a little bit about that earlier in the show with uh, Dosh and the Giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, which is definitely similar vibes to Ribbit which King. everyone knows because of the trophy in Melee, and that's it. Yep, unless you're Japanese, <laughs> no one played. They've actually played the game, yeah. <laughs> but everyone remembers the trophy at least from Melee. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Neil and I were saying that we we would love to see Dosh in, in Smash. 
why does Dawson look like the character on the front of Earthbound? I just realized that, like, today. <laughs> yes, he looks like, well, he's just a kind of a formless giant character. Like a capital, like, like a McDonald's M reformed. <laughs> yeah. Basically his body. With a, with a, like, with a disgusting Audi belly button. Yeah. <laughs> Any more characters there, Mike? Uh, yes, I do. I have King, uh, instead of King DDD, we have King Hippity Hop. Okay. Was he elected or just royal blood? No, it's it's actually a dictatorship. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of a Goomba, we have uh, Gumba Goo. Oh my god! Which is Gumba Goo? Can I can I say spoiler? Like, will will people be mad if I spoil the ending? You can spoil. You can spoil. (laughs) Gumba Goo is a vending machine, otherwise known as a gashapon machine in Japan. And this was actually really cool. I was like, this is M Night Shyamalan level when I was playing the game. When you're in like the hub world, you can use points that you've earned from playing the game on this vending machine, and then you from that, I, th- I don't remember exactly what you can unlock. You might be able to unlock characters. I know you can unlock characters. I don't know if you unlock them from this vending machine, but it's like a gumball machine. You can unlock items from it that you can use during the matches. You can also earn more frogs. Again, I don't know if you unlock the frogs through the vending machine, but basically that's like it's like Mario Kart. Your frog is your character, or your cart, mm-hmm. and your character mm-hmm. is your character. Your frog is your ball, or whatever. And the vending machine gave you prizes, and then you later learn that he's just a villain. Like he just eventually <laughs> this 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 vending machine that's unassuming somehow becomes angry, and you have to like face off against him. And he's just like one of the final bosses of the game. Oh, and cool. I was just like, whoa! I was not expecting this kind of background object in the game. Just suddenly, it, I'm not saying it was good, but it was very <laughs> much a twist because you're like, why is this vending machine who was my best friend? I was like, yeah, vending machines. I'm a kid. I love vending machines. I love that reminds RNG. me a little bit of. That reminds me a little bit of like Undertale, kind of that type of twist. Totally, yeah. Where yeah, like yeah. something very unassuming becomes like kind of terrifying, and even Gumbagoo looks kind of scary because normally he's just a smiley vending machine. But then when he's evil, he has like those rabid anime evil teeth. Like every every bad character in anime has the spiky teeth. He's <laughs> yep. got spiky teeth and like angry eyes. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at, I'm looking up uh, uh, images of of uh, Gumbagoo right now, and yeah, he gets kind of scary uh, when he goes into his evil form. It looks like. Yeah, I'm still be. going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, this whole game's design is so strange and so unique. It, it's very, it, it's really whimsical and it lacks direction totally. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah. there really isn't a style. Like, it, the only style you can describe it as is it's Japanese <laughs> because it's really, it's a very bizarre choice there's no consistency with like what they wanted to do with the art but it's it's got a charm to it it is a very charming game it's a very weird game and like we didn't even explain the game it's a golf sim but instead of a golf ball you're playing with a frog so it's basically okay so yeah Yeah. it's this is probably what made it fun and what made it really interesting to me so it's a golf game yeah your ball is your frog Mm -hmm. and instead of hitting them because that would be animal abuse you have like a little whatever you want to call it in your region, seesaw, teeter-totter, like one of those test-your-strength things at a carnival. <laughs> you slam down on one side, and then it's like a, there's a fulcrum with a, what is it, a lever and fulcrum? Either way, you slam down on one side, and it launches the frog, and you have a little, you have your power meter like every other game like that, mm-hmm. and you can do a top-down view of the map and like choose where you want to aim. And it's a little different from golf in the sense that you're not just trying to get it in in the fewest strokes possible. You're actually just trying to get the most points per level. Yeah. So the first person to land in the hole, which is like a glowing pit in the ground, first person to land in the hole gets a thousand points no matter what. Maybe it's sometimes it's more than that, but it's always a thousand to the first person who gets into the hole. Then every turn after that, the point value of the hole goes down. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you have to weigh how quickly you want to get to the hole because your goal is to rack up as many points as possible. And there's a bunch of ways to get points throughout the level. 
Like there's all kinds of stage hazards. There's all kinds of things that'll give you points. Cool. So you want to collect points, then reach the goal. But if you get the goal too quickly, your opponent may be able to rack up a whole bunch of more points in the meantime. So it's kind of like you, you gather points, then it becomes a race to the finish, like almost like a, a stalemate. Like who's going to finish first? Because once, yeah. once you finish, like the, the clock starts ticking because the final value that you get from landing in the hole goes down each turn. So it becomes mm, okay. like, okay, how many points do I get? Do I want to end yet? Do I want to keep getting more points first? And then once the other person ends, you're like, okay, now I got to finish quickly, but I still got enough points. It's, mm. it's there's an interesting skill to it because it's not just about getting there quickest. It's about racking up points as got much it. as possible, then finishing before you don't get any more points. I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. it's honestly like it. It looks really addictively fun. Yeah, like watching it, it, it's, it looks awesome. It ch- it's very like rapidly changing. Like it, you yeah. can play a level and then play it completely differently. Like obviously, there's uh, optimal ways to do everything. There's always a speed run way, but you can try a different route. Go for these points. Go for those points. Sometimes it's a very simple bubble with just contains like a hundred points. And if you hit the bubble, you gain a hundred points. Mm-hmm. Other times, when you land, your frog will look over and it'll notice a fly, and the frog will then jump to the fly, which will change where you landed. Sometimes the fly will appear over the edge of the map, and you'll chase the fly, and you'll fall, and you'll lose points. Mm. Other times, you'll land on a trap that like affects your opponent. You can pick up items. There's a lot of like little things, and just yeah, like it's it's very charming. There's a lot of little characters on the maps, like mm-hmm. little kind of enemies that'll make you go, "Oh, look how Japanese that is." <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, cool. it. Uh, I would like to say too that this game did kind of receive a resurgence in popularity, or just some popularity at mm-hmm. all, uh, in 2013 uh, when Game Grumps did a whole series right. on yeah. uh, playing it, and that also might contribute to the fact that this game continues to be quite expensive. I certainly believe it because yeah. this is one of those games I think that if left to its own devices, like if it didn't get any kind of attention. It wouldn't be expensive just because it's old. Yes. It would be worth like $6 because it's old, if I had to guess. <laughs> but combine it with like a little bit of extra popularity and like mm-hmm. low production numbers, that totally makes sense. Like once I saw Game Grumps play it, I was like, this is awesome. More people will see it. Then I was like, oh, wait, I don't own this game. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I guess I'll just have to find other ways. <laughs> yeah, there's like that, there's like that three, there's like a three way triangle or Venn diagram or whatever that makes a game expensive these days. And it's like, one, if it didn't sell much or they didn't make a lot, two, if it's weird, like which, what, which is what we're talking talking about today with weird games and then three if a famous youtuber or twitch streamer plays it it just goes up in price automatically so if like a famous twitch player like a collector on instagram all of a sudden posts a picture of it it goes up in value like exponentially and i think you're right mike i think the game grumps playing it probably helped that they've made a lot of games expensive i think (laughs) (laughs) frankly i won't stand for it (laughs) uh john is there anything else you'd like to talk about for rivet king before we have to let you go uh i don't think so i think if you're thinking about what i just said and you're like what did this guy teach me about ribbit king and you're like i still don't understand <laughs> you're probably right uh i get i'll here i'll very quickly summarize the story mm, yes. it's street fighter or twisted metal or any other competition <laughs> game where there's like a grand prize and every character is trying to win that prize for their own personal reasons that's literally all the story is so there's the ribbit king tournament and if you get the prize you become the ribbit king that's the title and there's also like a, a an item that you win that's like relevant to the characters in the story and they all want it for their own 
different reasons. Like one character wants it to save his home planet. That's like the main character. <laughs> one character, I think he literally just wants to eat it. I think that's Lunk. Uh, <laughs> everyone wants it for their own personal reasons. Kind of like Street Fighter. They're all trying to gain the, the money prize. Or in Twisted Metal, they're all trying to get the special powers at the end. That's literally all the story is. So in other words, there is no story. They were just like, hmm, we should make a story. So that's what they came up with. Well, don't forget and the evil really vending good. machine. And uh, I I already did, and uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure there's there's way more to it. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I just played it, and I'm the only one. John is the only one in the world, other than our other guest Kara, who will be coming on very shortly. But thank you so much, John, for joining us today. No, that's actually not true. She doesn't exist. <laughs> wait, is Kara John's mom? <laughs> mm, this this is a confusing timeline. This is about to get very emotional. It's getting <laughs> spicy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, take care, John. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. What a nice young man. Cool. That was uh, that was awesome to have John on uh, to talk about a game that we know literally nothing about. And he knew a lot about, surprisingly. Uh, yeah. to, I think to even his own surprise. That's kind of why I love having people on this show who have played games like this. Because at first they're like, oh, I'm not sure how much I remember. But then, you know, you just all you need is that one memory to kind of spark your your imagination. And then you start remembering all the, the the crazy things that go on in a game yeah. like this mm-hmm. i'm just so impressed that like his mom picked it up for him just thinking oh he might like this and it's yeah just, that that just happens i think you you in your childhood if you rent games if you try a lot of games you're bound to stumble across one that becomes a cult classic and ribbit king is one of those games well yeah i mean i i talked about that a little bit earlier on uh episode 18 with animal crossing and how i don't remember how i got that game it just appeared yeah. one day mm-hmm. like who knows if someone uh, like i know my dad often got games from uh from people that he knew who were like hey your son might like this i don't want it anymore yeah. you know so yeah or sometimes you know like in my family your cousins come over with a small stack of games and they happen yeah. to leave one behind by accident they take one of your games by accident and just luckily neither of you notice that each of you are now missing a game and <laughs> <laughs> now you have animal crossing and they have I don't know. Hello they have Kitties. Ribbit King. They have Ribbit King, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like looking at the cover art, they look exactly the same. So Exactly. Okay, and now joining us from Toronto, Ontario, we have Kara coming on us live. Uh Kara, what are your first memories of this weird and crazy game called Ribbit King? It's a little bit weird, yeah. Um, good question. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> My first introduction to Ribbit King, I believe, was in the year two thousand and four. Uh, if my notes are correct, I was age 10 and, you know, like most people, I had an older sibling who had a GameCube. So my older sister, uh, lent me the system as well as her games. And among those games was this little gem, uh, no idea where she got it or why she chose it, but yeah, maybe the fun little graphics on the cover drew her in and, uh, okay. Marty's laughing at me in the background. (laughs) You gotta stop. <laughs> oh man. This is gonna be good. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's okay. Yes. So I was, you know, ten years old. I think the perfect game for or the perfect age for Ribbit King. Maybe even a little too old, <laughs> uh, dare I say. But yeah, yeah, just loved it from the moment I began play. You, you said that you didn't know where it came from, <laughs> like where, yeah. you, where you got the game from. Um, we just had a, a guest on earlier, John, and he was talking about how his mom ended up getting this for him from Blockbuster, just thinking oh, that it would be a cool yeah. game. 
You know what? That might be the exact same case with my sister. If I had to put money on it, I'd say it was a blockbuster joint. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this game are some of the characters that you of can course. play as. Yes. Uh, we talked about Sluggy earlier oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have fond memories of playing as Sluggy? Not not particularly. See, I was I was always a fan of and I had to I had to actually fact check this to get their names. But mm -hmm. it's the three little multicolored balls who stand on top of each other, kind of like, uh, you know, like three kids in a trench coat type deal. <laughs> oh, so okay. it's three guys stacked and their names are Pappy, Papu and Pepe. Oh, yes. So <laughs> thankfully not a frog in a frog game. But yeah, there, there was a Pepe and I like those three. They were quite cute. I mean, all the characters in this game are so uh, just uniquely designed really yes, that's a nice way to put it yeah <laughs> i mean it's uh, john said earlier he said it's so japanese and, yes, uh, yes i would definitely agree with that yes definitely i'm also really partial to the uh again i had to look up his name uh lunk yes lunk is the kind of pile of rocks guy <laughs> and uh his frog is named lil lunk so <laughs> there okay, you go so buddies yep yep <laughs> When I first like heard about this game from you, actually, you're the first person who ever. Oh wait, really? Yeah, you're the first person oh who God. ever brought this game up. <laughs> An exclusive. Wow. <laughs> and John was pretty convinced that no one had ever even played this game before, other than him. So. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was shocked when you said you had other guests. I was like, surely <laughs> I have to be the only person. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, when I first heard it from you, you called it Frolf as well, playing Frolf. Yes. I yes. thought it was maybe like frisbee golf. Yeah, you know that was right. that was what yeah. I thought it was. I'm like, oh, is it like a frisbee golf simulator? That's interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's a very natural assumption, but no, absolutely not. <laughs> it is frog golf, as I'm sure you've already explained. So, mm -hmm. I actually just learned. So yeah, full disclosure, I played this game when I was 10, didn't really play it since then, if you could believe that. <laughs> um, but, but this weekend, we got the GameCube, got Ribbit King, and picked it right back up. And it was only, yeah, a couple days ago that I realized that you're not directly hitting the frog with mm. your little mallet. You're, you're hitting a little seesaw that, you know, ricochets the frog into the distance. So just, just launches nice them 100 learn. yards out yeah. into the air so that they don't get they don't. <laughs> That doesn't hurt a frog. There's no way of possibly injuring anybody doing that. You know, it's, it's got to be better than the straight up, like, clonking it on the head, right? I just want to point out that, yet again, PETA continues to go after Pokemon. Meanwhile, <laughs> these games exist. <laughs> well, something else that I actually really appreciate about this game is that they show the frogs. Not only do they have, like, a stamina meter for the frog. Well, actually, they don't have a stamina meter. They exclusively their life show bar. the frog state. Yeah, by just their facial expressions. So the more times you hit or the more, you know, times it gets stomped by an elephant, their eyes just get a little bit sadder and sadder each time. And just they lose, you know, the life behind their little frog eyes. I noticed there's a couple of times that like just one eye will be like a, a big X on it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like you got to be really careful when you get to that stage. You got to give them some nice, light, short jumps or it's, <laughs> it might be game over. Yeah. Uh, you said, obviously, you and your sister played this uh, when you were 10 years old. Uh, were you the Ribbit King? Did you become the Ribbit King? The Ribbit Queen? Um, <laughs> well, okay. Another, I'm really telling on myself here because, <laughs> so as a child, I can't say that I ever actually played story mode. 
I, I realized again this weekend that I was exclusively doing verses. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I don't know if I could be called the Ribbit King since I was just kind of beating my, you know, siblings and <laughs> friends. Uh, but I can say that just an hour prior to this conversation, I picked up story mode from the beginning and I have already conquered four out of five worlds. So we're getting there. We're getting, we're getting there. there. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, not a hard game to beat. <laughs> I got to say, though, it um, when you actually get in the large chasm of a hole <laughs> that, <laughs> that the frog goes in, yes, yeah. the animation sequence and everything, it makes you feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really colorful. It, it very much feels like a Mario party, but honestly, mm -hmm. even yes. like even more so. Absolutely. I would agree. And I would also say that's probably the my favorite part of this game is just that like instant affirmation you get. Like, well, speaking of Sluggy, um, after you finish a level, he'll come in and basically say the end, like after, I'm sure you remember this. In fact, you should probably play a clip of, of him talking because I feel like that's kind of important to the game. Oh, John nailed um, it but, perfectly. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, he, he did, he did I a feel very like I, it might not be uh, super PC for me to imitate. Yeah, that's exactly what John said. He's like, he's like, this is probably not great, but this is what yeah, he sounds like. Is, is Rivet King canceled? I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. After you do like one single round of verses, like, you know, five holes, four or five holes, whatever it is, uh, Sluggy will come in, announce the, the winner and then say the end. And it's like fade to black. So you can play for like 20 minutes and feel like you've really just, you know, accomplished something, which is very, very fulfilling. I think just like the levels themselves too are are so well done. Like I got I got to give it credit. There's mm. so many ways to get to a hole and uh and each level feels super <laughs> unique because you're technically playing on planets, I guess, right? Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yep, yep. Five five separate planets, I believe. Yeah. I was really just uh consistently playing Ribotopia, the first kind of world, you know, mm. the nice green earth blue water classic um so yeah today when i was venturing into the into the more difficult worlds i realized yeah it's, it's there's a little bit more strategy than i gave it credit for i really thought it was just like a hundred percent luck now i'm thinking it's more you know 98 percent luck there is a little bit of strat in there yeah there definitely seems to be like the one best way to do it for sure mm. um and but there's also just the fact that you can kind of get to the hole any way you want is is pretty unique in, in its own sense there like I, I think golf sims and like golf games like this especially like wacky games like this really don't get enough credit as neil and i were saying earlier mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm just watching gameplay now of what i'm assuming is the first level where like kara said everything's green and there's there's lakes and it's blue and it's sunshiny this game skates the line for me of of any kind of subject matter where everything is way too cheerful um, and I just assume that everyone in that village are going to eat me as soon as I turn around. Like the bubbles yes. look like they're going to haunt my dreams tonight. <laughs> just their, their, yes. their dead eye smile. Yeah. And then like everybody's trying their best to be happy, which I appreciate. But then these nightmare snakes come out of the ground occasionally. What, what are these? What's going on with yeah, these guys? Where yeah, do they yeah. live? Well, I was, I was just going to bring those guys up because they're really the most sinister character in that first level. And I agree. then from then on, I think it just gets more and more eerie, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the little snakes in the ground, um, they will eat you if you jump near them. 
The good thing is you just have to give the little C stick a, a rattle from left to right, and then that snake is going to pop you out. And he's actually going to give you points as long as you move your C stick quick enough. Mm. But something that I struggled with is, so on the screen, the C stick would pop up and it would show you how to move it, you know, back and forth. Mm -hmm. But as a child, I thought that you moved it back and forth in time with the uh, graphic on the screen. Oh. So Not fast enough. <laughs> You see what I mean? I was going like side to side very gently. Yeah, uh, yeah it wasn't until adulthood that I realized you really just like give her and go as quick as you can. So, so I was consistently getting eaten, losing 10 points, mm. getting thrown out in a you know, less than optimal spot until I realized as long as you move your little thumb nice and quick, you're good to go. And obviously your sister never told you that that's how you have no, to do it. No, no. Yeah, naturally <laughs> she needed all the help she could get. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask what your, your favorite level is. Uh, and I guess that kind of answers it considering it's one of the yeah. only ones that you had consistently played. But that's, that's <laughs> that was like a classic kid move, though, is that you just keep playing the first level. Mm. It's like, why, why, why would not, I play anything right? else? <laughs> yeah. Playing it on the weekend, it was like muscle memory. Like I really did remember where the hundred point bubbles were, where the fish was going to eat me, which is a good thing, by the way. You want the fish to eat you. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, playing, Marty chose the next level and he chose evidently, I think the hardest one, it's kind of like a robot mechanical world and there are lots of conveyor belts and you have to actually really strategize and see where those conveyor belts will take you because there's like various levels of buildings and of course the the frog in the hole is on the top building mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you have to ride those conveyor belts up and uh yeah trickier than you than you might think so that one <laughs> not my favorite i just like to keep it classic ribotopia chill level mm -hmm. i like that i i gotta say too uh i'd say one of the characters that i find the creepiest is the penguin the toy penguin oh yeah sir waddlelot <laughs> um so yeah sir waddlelot something that i learned about him on the weekend is that he is controlled by a small character in the top of his head like it's a robot powered by the little guy at the top, oh. which I never, yeah, I never conceptualized that. I thought I was playing the duck. I didn't realize I was playing the little commander of the duck. It's kind of like Wobbuffet so. in uh, in Pokemon. There's uh, there's mm. a little guy who's behind Wobbuffet, and that's who's actually yeah, 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 it. exactly. So or plankton. That and was everything. a big big realization <laughs> for me. Yeah. Was something that I'm looking forward to doing later. I wish I had got a chance to get to this before the pod, but um, there's a bonus disc, as I'm sure John talked about. He hasn't actually talked about it, so please go ahead. Oh, well, okay. I, I can't really speak speak to this very much as I haven't actually loaded the disc, but <laughs> it's like I think there's some sort of bonus round or mini games or mm -hmm. I don't I don't really know. Something comes after the uh, I guess the, the vending man, vending machine man. <laughs> the biggest thing is that you can unlock uh, short animations uh, and a part of the uh, Ribbit King TV series, which is a thing. <laughs> what? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, there's uh, 30 episodes of uh, of no of the way. Ribbit King TV series, which I definitely recommend you watch. Uh, oh some of the episodes God. are called Ribbit King Shopping, Sluggy After Work, Frolf Bits, <laughs> <laughs> Frolf Beach Party, and The Secret of Sir Waddlelot. So I recommend all uh, oh, listeners uh, watch some of these classic episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> wow. You, you learn something new every day. 
Well, Kara, uh, <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to mention about Ribbit King before we read the back of the box here? Or sorry, before Marty reads um, the back of the box. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe to segue into that, I thought since I played the game with Marty on the weekend, I took down some quotes uh, oh, that he yes, had during please. the game. Most of them, there there might have been some. I don't know if this is a family show, but we th- we might not have been completely sober, so I did have to edit out <laughs> some of the like less savory quotes. But the ones that I came up with, and these are very genuine. Um, he said, "This game is like golf for people who just like to poke around." <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was really nice. I like that because yeah, it was it was hard for him to realize that you didn't necessarily want to get to the hole right away. Yes. Like sure. Frog in like hole in one is, is brilliant. But after that, it can, as you know, be more advantageous to, as he so, you know, eloquently said, poke around. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was nice. And then the other thing is that as I'm sure your, your listenership can tell from this interview, I'm not the biggest gamer. So it's like rare for me to really enjoy a game. So he described, Marty described Ribbit King as the perfect 21st century distillation of a video game for people who don't really like video games. Mm, that's and a thought, really good quote. Yeah, wow. that was kind of nice, eh? Thanks, yeah. non-sober Marty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he actually gets uh, more poetic. So. <laughs> He's a homework writer. Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then just, just one more thing I want to drop because... Um, my mom was with us when we were playing this game and she just insistently kept calling it Frogger. Oh yes. Would would not stop no matter how many times. So, so yeah. Um, but she loved it. She loved watching it. She also kept saying things like, uh, is it, is it a positive thing to have the pterodactyl eat you or is it negative? How, How do you know? Oh, that's awesome. Some parents just don't know. Well, with that, we will uh, have Marty here reading the back of the case. Yes. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Please, Please, Scooter, to become the Frog Janet and win the Cuckoo Super Ribbonite. The future of your planet depends on you. For one the four player, we need to unlock exclusive Ribbon King movie clip on bonus business. Oh, there you go. Story in VS Mom. Lots of wacky characters and your froggy friends to choose from. Encounter obstacles. And collect, and collect many weird, weird but many items in your adventures. <laughs> and that was Marty Thompson, friend of the show, reading the back of the case of Ribbit King. And that, I think, was just beautiful, really, in, in, in a word. Yeah. He said he was going for, like, an emo spoken word thing, but I don't know. That was it not is. it. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it this this episode is all about strange games, and uh, I think uh, I think that uh, that spoken word edition of the back of the case of Ribbit King uh, really works in in that favor. So thank you, Marty. All right, <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> well, Kira, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Uh, you have been a wealth of knowledge in a uh, game that Neil and I really knew nothing about before this. So thank you very wow. much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was it was great. Uh, you guys should play. 
I, you can borrow the cube anytime. Well, anytime. we'll need to borrow the game, not the cube. We have it, cubes. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you might need a third one. Uh, yeah, you can borrow the game anytime as well. Well, thank awesome. you. <laughs> well, thank you, Kara. We appreciate it and uh, hope to see you again soon. Yep. Take care. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. What a nice young lady. Cool. That was awesome to have Kara on there to talk about Rivet King and uh, what a... What a strange trip that game is, Neil. Yeah, what a weird game. It's a little bit nightmare fuel, a little bit cheerful. I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm really glad Marty could join us as well to read the back of the case. I think he should read them all now. He blew my performances out of the water. But yeah, really uh, an avant-garde style. Of, very of dramatic. Reading. He mm-hmm. over. He likes to overact a little bit. <laughs> Acting. <laughs> very good. So there are a lot of uh, weird games out there, obviously, Mike, which we've covered today on this podcast. I'm sure that we'll find many others uh, in our in our hunt. We've uh, we've missed games automatically come to mind. There's Chibi Robo, Odama, even a game like Curious George are just these strange diamond in the rough games that we're going to uncover. And I'm really looking forward to it. Of these games that we talked about today, though, which of the five would would you recommend to uh, to the listeners? Well, you know, as much as I want to pick Dark and Sky, so people have a, <laughs> a chance to uh, to see the Skittles branding in action, um, I mm. I would I would have to say if you have one hundred and seventy dollars to spend, uh, <laughs> Ribbit King because Ribbit King looks just like an infinite amount of fun for a coach co op and and honestly by yourself too. It looks so. Uh, fun and unique but if you don't have 170 dollars i think you should spend 40 to 50 and buy metal arms glitch in the system yeah having josh on today was a real treat i was not expecting that wealth of knowledge to come on i thought he was just going to talk about memories of playing it on ps2 but uh i'd have to agree completely with you um ribbit king does look interesting simply for the fact that there aren't a ton of i think the golf sim genre is very is one of the most underrated video game genres out there I love video, uh, golf games that aren't um, like Tiger Woods, PGA. Uh, there's there's games like uh, Golf Story, which we've played, Mike and I. That's an indie game on Switch. There's, of course, Mario Golf. There's Everybody's Golf. And then there's just these random, every year on Switch or on, on Steam, you'll get two or three just mini golf simulators, and they're all so fun. There's just this satisfying feeling when you hit a hit a golf ball and that sound it mm. makes when it hits off like a wooden platform or something i love golf sims and ribbit king is one of the few golf sims on the gamecube i think there might be four or five all in all we haven't even covered any outlaw of golf uh, is one of them that uh, yeah i love that game uh and it's actually a simon and schuster game so it's packaged mm-hmm. with dark in the sky if i had to pick one of the games we talked about today I, i'm gonna have to go with metal arms i think that's on my short list now of games to pick up that and time splitters too we didn't talk about that today but i'm, I'm looking for that game right now but uh, I really want to play Metal Arms now because it just sounds so neat. And I'm looking for a T-rated game on GameCube that I haven't played yet. Like, I know that the Nintendo was trying to appeal to the teens back in the 2000s. So I want to see what – what this was obviously one of those games where they were trying to target a, an older audience. So yeah. let's see uh, how it stacks up compared to something like Eternal Darkness or Resident this Evil. This definitely skirts the line between, like, T and M <laughs> for me for sure. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, almost like, like South Park too where you kind yes. of – you sneak under parents' radar, no pun intended, I guess, of like, hey, it's a cartoon. It's it, it's robots. It's fine. It's for kids. And then they start playing it and like parents in the other room just like, what did I buy? <laughs> I love it when ga- I love it when any form of media can fool a parent. I know that parents are doing their best out there to protect their kids from certain subject matter, but I love it when <laughs> – I mean some parents just straight up buy their kids GTA 5, which they're not even trying. But I like it when parents are trying yes. to, you know, in, just inject some some – I don't know, just childhood, like give them an innocent childhood for a few years before they start to develop drinking habits and gambling (laughs) addictions. But, and then just the developers or a cartoon creator just makes this movie that, that parents think are great for kids. And then it ends up not being great for kids at all. So 
one of my favorite things. But anyway, Mike, before we close out this episode, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 29 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. On episode 29, it is finally time for movie tie-ins. That's right. The uh, genre that is uh, on the GameCube probably the most of anything else, save for racing games. Uh, we have 10 movie tie-in games coming up. Some of those games include The Scorpion King, uh, Top Gun, Die Hard, Rocky, all games that did not come out, or all mm. movies that did not yeah. come out in 2002. These are all 80s films. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? So I don't know what was going on in, in, in 2001 to 2002, but we have 10 movies, and Neil and I will will uh, debate uh, where Die Hard stands in the Christmas canon of movies yeah i can't wait for that debate i hate that i hate that debate so much but obviously there's movie tie-ins in there that we're not talking about there's like the spider-man games which we already covered and then there's like harry potter games in there which we're going to cover harry potter in a completely different episode but it's just interesting that some of these random games or movies were given games years after they came out like no one cared about rocky in the early 2000s yeah, it, it's a it's some some strange stuff, and I'd like to just point out that no game has higher than a seventy four rating on Metacritic. Oh, it's gonna be a bad week, Mike. <laughs> so we're gonna have some fun uh, going over some of these games, and I'm sorry if uh, if anyone grew up uh, loving a few of these, but uh, we're probably gonna trounce on most. Yeah, probably. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, this was episode twenty eight of the GameCube was cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. Rate us reviews, positive or negative. We will read them on the podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at the GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends, family, and pets. Tell your cat Mike says hi. Check out our shop. We are the GameCube Podcast on Redbubble.com. See if you can if you feel like buying a clock with uh, with our logo on it, go for it. Uh, we are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.